Reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Let us listen together for a word from God. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that Judas, sorry, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe and had returned to the table. And he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Later, Jesus said, Now, the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Thanks be to God for this gift of the word. Hospitality, ushering in new people, is nothing new to this congregation. I was lurking among your online worshiping masses on this last Sunday, so I had the opportunity to share in two traditions that I've really, truly missed since the years when I was in parish ministry, now nearly a decade ago. 
One was the traditional observance of Palm Sunday, led by adorable children and a handful of equally adorable proud parents and teachers, waving their palm branches, singing all glory, laud, and honor. We remembered the triumphal entry of our Savior, his choice to go where he did not want to go because it was right for him to go there. It was good to see that on my computer screen, but it isn't really that tradition that stood out to me the most last Sunday. Rather, it was your reception of your pastor's class, seeing you all baptized, received into full membership in the church. In my church, where we had baptized most of those young people as infants, we practiced confirmation when, like Charlie did here, teenagers confirmed for themselves the baptismal commitments of those who have become disciples. I loved the way that just before each baptism or confirmation, Reverend Aday read from their statements of faith. In fact, that might have been my favorite part. I wrote down some of the things you all said. God is in us and around us. God knows everything about me, and I will call God my best friend. God surrounds us like a loving embrace. I have faith that God loves us and is a part of each one of us. I loved those things you said. A lot of times when we talk about faith, and I have to say especially when adults talk about faith, maybe even especially when ministers talk about faith, we make statements about God. But when the young people here on Sunday, in the act of officially declaring themselves disciples of Jesus, recognized better than maybe those of us who've been following Jesus around these dusty roads for years, what they recognized is that speaking of faith is not about faraway God. It's about the here and now God. The God with you and me. It's about the God who is in us or who loves us, the God who in Christ sat down for a meal with us and feeds us, the God who changes us. Our faith is in a God with us. Maybe even a God who washes our feet. You know, on Palm Sunday, we remember this triumphal scene of Jesus entering, palm-waving, songs of praise. But on this Maundy Thursday, we remember something else. Many of the same disciples are there. The cast of characters is the same, but they share a very different sort of moment. We tend to remember those Thursday night activities reported in Scripture tomorrow, some of those activities at least, on Good Friday. We remember then the betrayal and the arrest and the denial and the sentencing. But tonight we focus on that first scene in that multi-part story, a dinner, a feast so powerful and important that, well, you disciples do what I wish we Presbyterians did. You reenact it not just occasionally, but on every Sunday morning all year long. That first feast was itself, of course, a reenactment. The Passover meal is a liturgy. It's a story that unfolds through symbols, a retelling of God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt in a series of steps. There is the breaking of bread. There is the drinking of cups of wine. There is, these are actions that become a lens that refocus our view of who we are, 
not to mention how we got that way. Through suffering, through deliverance, through God. We reenact, then, that reenactment the way Jesus put, up, put it up together that night, the one where he transformed the symbols, changed their traditional meaning to something new, so that somehow in bread and cup, in body and blood, a covenant was made new, an expression of God with us. But there's still this other part of that Maundy Thursday of old that for some reason we do not reenact. One symbol that Jesus profoundly transformed that we barely even remember, sometimes not even on Maundy Thursday. Not with our actions, never on a Sunday morning. What we don't do is what Jesus did, taking a basin, the basin that at Passover each person would normally take and use to wash their hands before the meal, sort of a ritual baptism, We do not take that symbol and proclaim its new meaning by untying our shoes and taking off our socks. But Jesus did. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It was as much a part of the evening as the bread and the wine. In fact, I bet if we were there, that's the part we would remember. It was an even more serious departure from the routine, a greater upsetting of expectations. Jesus told them to remember what happened there, including that part, and I bet they never could have forgotten. Because how awkward it must have been. How shockingly intimate. Jesus takes off his robe. He's almost naked. He takes his friend's bare foot in his hand and holds it over the basin. And let's not turn this into a Hallmark card or a stained glass window. The act of washing another person's feet was not pretty. For the one doing the washing, especially 2,000 years ago, it would not have been pleasant. Feet were the primary mode of transportation. And they wore sandals, not boots. Washing your friend's feet is like washing the underside of your neighbor's car. It's full of dirt and grime and yuck. Really, there's no reason for you to be down there. You might need to wash afterward yourself. Washing the disciples' feet is to swab the wounds. It's to see the blisters, the sores, the scars. The private matters of your neighbor become your own when you place your hands, your eyes, your nose near their feet, making clean something you didn't make dirty. So you can see why we didn't make that the sacrament. Even for close friends, even for a group of buddies who've shared everything, for family, this is uncomfortably close. And yet there is Jesus washing one person's feet and then the next. And there is Jesus telling them that you need to do this too. I'm most struck in this passage by the fact that it's not Jesus who is most uncomfortable. 
It's Peter. He's not speechless. Peter was never speechless. But he's discombobulated. He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says he'll understand later, but Peter persists. You'll never wash my feet. It's hard to blame him. A lot of us here would have said exactly the same thing. And to souls far less revered than Jesus, I can't handle you doing that for me. It's not the washer, but the washee who is uncomfortable with this. It's not the prospect of washing another's feet that concerns Peter. It is his unworthiness to be washed. Even worse than unpleasant service sometimes is admitting that we are the ones needing to be served. Maybe you've been part of that rare moment. Maybe you took part at some point in some church in a light symbolic washing and you know that it's the most difficult part, the receiving, not the giving. Why is that? We did try it a couple of times at the church I served in Parkville on Monday Thursdays. That was a long time ago now. I had made the mistake of grabbing some salad serving bowls out of the kitchen to use as basins, only to have dear Lou, who kept up the church kitchen, tell me in no uncertain terms that I was never to do that again. <laughs> we had people call during Holy Week the next year to make sure we weren't doing the foot washing again. <laughs> Even some of the most adventurous people in that creative, worship-loving church thought that this might be a little too far. Why? I mean, I know almost every one of you would give the shirt off your back to a person in need, but there's something here, something that night that Jesus needed to impart before the end, something important enough that it's part of this night of all nights. Whoever would follow Jesus must serve, yes but must also sometimes be served by their fellow disciples, Jesus says. Wash one another's feet. Why will we not ask for help when we need it? Why can we not admit our self-insufficiency, our absence of bootstraps to pull ourselves up by? Why is it so hard sometimes to admit that we have needs, desires, hopes and dreams, hurt and disappointment and failings? To push those things down we might think of as humility, just not troubling other people with them. But I think really it's a form of pride, a common pride, one that every person struggles with sometimes, a pride to which I think the 21st century middle to upper class American Christian is extremely subject, me included. But it is pride nonetheless, this refusal to be served, to accept the humble ministry of another. You might even say it's a rejection of Jesus himself, the one who has called us his body the one who comes to us at the table and in our co-disciples every day. The reason it is hard 
is that because when someone kneels before us and washes our feet, there is nothing else we can do. We can't do something for them. We can't take care of other business. We can't even think about other things. All we can do is be served. And it means that we have to see ourselves as vulnerable, as helpless, as in need. But it is only then that we can understand the meaning of grace. Friends, we're enduring a hard season. There is a war in Ukraine. There has been another mass shooting this week. There seems like there's one every few days. There's another political campaign going on that isolates and divides rather than inspires and restores. We're not immune here in Kansas City from gun violence only blocks away or from unsolved homicides, from the effects of racism. And of course, the specter of the pandemic is not yet lifted, even if mask mandates have been. We are weary. Students and teachers, younger and older, even clergy, we are weary. But if this moment of weariness has anything to teach us, if it can serve any purpose in our lives of faith, maybe it is this. It has reminded us of our powerlessness on our own. It has helped us acknowledge what we are not capable of. It is tempting to respond to this moment by retreating into shells, by withdrawing from the pain. But if we can summon just enough fortitude to pay attention, I believe it is in this moment when we might come truly to make our own statement of faith, to come to a deeper understanding of what love is and where it comes from and how to live it. After the supper, Jesus went out and said to the disciples, now the Son of Man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. I wonder what Jesus could have meant by that. I've thought about it a lot. He says that before all the stuff that happens, before the cross, before the resurrection. How had Jesus been glorified at this point? And I wonder, maybe he meant that they had shared their last meal together. Maybe he meant that Jesus had been glorified because once and for all, those who followed him had allowed him to serve them because human beings had received with gratitude the grace of one who freely gave. See, every time we come to this table, we come where Jesus knelt with basin and towel. Jesus demands that when we come to the table, when we come to Jesus, we put aside not only our sin, but also our self-sufficiency and all our pride, all our can-do determination, all our independence. On this night, I invite us to do what what Jesus asked, what he did himself that night, to lay aside our own power in obedience emptying ourselves of all that we might think rightly ours, humbling ourselves that God's will be done. So tonight, you can keep your shoes on. 
The salad bowls are safe. But let us understand, there is no communion apart from a foot washing in our hearts. There is no gracious gift of sustaining food and drink without the abject humbleness of letting our feet be washed. Let us take the gifts of faith and service, but also the hard parts of lowliness and submission, of invaded privacy and demanding love. For friends, we have been commanded. We cannot truly love one another. We cannot truly understand how God has loved us until we receive that gift of grace. May it be so. Amen.